Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Good morning, good morning. Welcome everybody. Nice to see some faces in the room. Nice to be back with you guys online as well, whether you're watching it right now or whether you're catching up. Welcome to Message Live. I'm Sarah Small. I'm based up here in Manchester, part of the Message Trust. And my specific role is heading up the incredible Eden Network. If you don't know anything about Eden, but if you think and you feel like you might be interested in mission and specifically urban mission, then why not check out our proximity conference? It's coming up next week, Friday and Saturday, the 7th and 8th of May. Loads more information on our website, message.org.uk slash proximity. 21. We've got lots of other events coming up, which we'll talk about later, but that's the one I'd love to see you at. I'm sure we'd love to see you at lots of the others as well. So uh, we are talking about the book of Philippians. I've been going through it for about the last seven sessions. Can you believe it? We're actually nearing the end, getting to the end of chapter three today. And this is Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. The church that is in Greece, a church that is in a Roman colony, a church where there had been very little influence of Judaism before. But Paul had come and he had shared the gospel and it had been received by a bunch of families, a bunch of different individuals who had started this amazing church. And this church was now facing some persecution. There was a little bit of disunity going on. Um, And Paul writes this letter to them from his prison cell to encourage them, to affirm them, to remind them to keep going and to cheer them on. So today we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 12 to 21. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to find that. And before we dive into the scripture, let's just pray and ask God to speak to us and to prepare our hearts to receive his word. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of these words from your people, from your churches, when you were moving uh, in so much power in those early days of the church, Lord. Thank you that the words from then are as relevant then as they are now. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is still alive, translating them into our hearts and our language and our lives. God, we pray as we look at your word today, would you speak to us? Would you make things clear? Would you motivate us and fill us afresh with your spirit? In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's read Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21. It says this, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take, a view of, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What an incredible picture. The words of Paul are always so rich and so helpful to us as Christians. And today I've called the talk Onwards and Upwards because Paul talks about two directions for the Christian life. He talks about pressing on, about laying hold of, about straining. There's motion to move on and to progress but he also talks about um, going upwards or heavenwards, it says in other translations. So we're going to dig into these two words today and see how can we press on in the Christian life and what does it mean to motivate and to aim our lives heavenwards. So as I said, the language at the start of this passage is so much about pressing forward. It's about straining, taking hold. It's ambitious language, isn't it? Paul was an ambitious man. First of all, to persecute the Christians, and then that flipped up, and he was ambitious for the gospel. There's movement and there's momentum, but there's also attention in his words. Paul is somewhere, but he is longing to be somewhere else. He is aimed in a direction. He has a final destination in mind or a goal he talks about and a prize. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we often talk about it in two different ways. I'm not sure if you've heard this language before, but we talk about the kingdom as being now and as being not yet. And I think Paul's language implies some of this reality. He talks about the race he's running now, but he talks about the not yet reality of the prize to which he's aiming for. There's something we're still waiting for as Christians. When we come to faith, we receive salvation. We can have our prayers answered now. We can know God now. We can see the reality of him working now. And yet there's more. There's more to come. There's a not yet element. We live in this tension, this time in between. Years ago, I heard a guy called Graham Cook speaking. He came to our church and he said to us, as Christians, we are a present future people. Often we spend a lot of our time looking back, uh, and Paul talks about this, doesn't he? Don't look back, cast off everything uh, from before. As Christians, we're supposed to be people in the present, living for the future, living in the light of the future. So how do we press on? Well, first of all, we leave the past behind. Last week, if you remember, we talked about Paul counting everything that had previously been gained, his wealth, his status, his education, his birth even, the work that he used to do, everything that was seemingly positive about his life, he said is loss. It's all rubbish. He talked about it in really strong terms. He said, everything from before I need to forget about in order to orientate myself forwards. I don't know whether you've been watching The Chosen. It's a TV series about the life of the disciples and the life of Jesus. They've just released season two. I'm loving it. And there is a really beautiful moment in that series where the, um, the disciple Matthew is a bit of an outcast. He used to be a tax collector. The rest of the disciples don't really like him. And this new disciple, Philip, turns up. And Philip is a bit more seasoned. He's a bit more mature. And he takes Matthew for a little walk and says, what's going on? And Matthew says, I was a tax collector. I was everybody's enemy. And 
Philip says back to him, well, I was something else too. And then he says these words, once you've met the Messiah, am is all that matters. I was doesn't matter anymore. I am is what matters. And actually, it's funny, if you, um, if you think about the name that God gives himself, the name that God reveals to Moses in the burning bush, he says, my name is I am. I am who I am. That's what the, the Hebrew name Yahweh means. It also means I will be what I will be. There's a present future dimension within the name of God. And um, I just think that's so fascinating. Jesus takes this name when he teaches. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am is all that matters. What I was, what I did, what I shouldn't have done, that stuff is gone. Who I am and who I will be, who he is and who he will be. That's what we base our lives on now. Secondly, we embrace the race we enjoy the journey. Don't know about you, but I used to be a bit of an occasional park runner. Uh, Saturday mornings, nine o'clock, we used to go down to Withenshaw Park and you could run 5K with a whole bunch of different people. Some were super speedy and they were kind of done by the time you'd done one lap, they were finishing. Some were a bit slower. I was probably somewhere in the middle to back. Um, and uh, at the start of lockdown one, obviously all of that stuff finished. But what we were allowed to still do was have our daily exercise. So I was like, well, this is one thing I can do, uh, so I will. And uh, I used to go out running. I still do a little bit. And um, what was good about getting out running was that I actually got a bit fitter. I enjoyed the time outdoors. I moved from forcing myself to do it to wanting to do it. And eventually, I joined forces with a friend when we were allowed. And the two of us used to go out together and we went a bit further together, we went a bit faster together, we got lost together, we ended up in the mud together, we definitely fell over a lot of times together, but doing it together meant that we didn't stop, we just kept going. So why am I telling you about this? Well, the language that Paul uses is a bit like running a race. He talks about moving on, he, he talks about running with perseverance, there's a bunch of other passages throughout the whole of the Bible which talk about running the race. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? He goes on to say, run in such a way as to get the prize. In Galatians 5, 7, he said, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. And finally, that picture in Hebrews that I love, Hebrews 12, verse 1, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Each of us has a race to run and we don't run it in our own strength. We need to embrace it, but we do it in him. We have Christ in us. We run with purpose now with our lives in him. We run with meaning now our lives are in him. We run towards a goal now our lives are in him. The third way that we can press on, I've already alluded to, is get some running buddies. He says in, in verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. We're meant to do this together. 
We run better in community. That's probably why the park run model has actually been so incredibly popular. It's much nicer to go with a bunch of other people who are cheering you on than it is to go by yourself and think, why am I doing this to myself? It just hurts. I really want to go home and get back into bed, which has been often the mindset that I've had. I'm sure you can relate. It's much easier to go further, faster and longer and through some sticky situations when you're doing it with others. Finally, how do we press on? Well, fourthly, uh, we follow an example. He says, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul reminds us that there are people that we can follow. And ultimately, we follow Jesus. We follow the life that he lived. It's so fascinating that our, our lives as Christians are not now based on a written law. They're not based on following things that are, are written down, but they're based on following a life. They're based, on they're based on following something that was lived out. And Paul says, I am an example. A few weeks ago, we talked about Timothy, didn't we? And Epaphroditus. They were examples. Who are the example believers in your life? Who do you look up to? Who do you want to follow? Do people want to follow you? Can you be an example believer? Can your life guide someone on the path towards Jesus? Can your life inspire somebody to run the race? A life, a race is lived in time. It's lived over years. It's a series of daily decisions. It's not just a one decision moment. This whole life, this whole process takes us day by day and it will take us our whole lives to work it out. Paul himself says, I've not yet got there. And isn't that great to hear? <laughs> we think about Paul, what an incredible guy he was. And even he says, I'm like you guys. We're all on the same page. We're all running a race. We're not yet there, but we're heading in the right direction. So I've talked about going onwards. What about upwards? What is this upwards direction that we are aiming at? Where is our destination? Paul says this, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In the ESV version of the Bible, it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we're to press on, but we're also to aim upward. What is this upward call of God there? And what is this prize? Is it just about getting to heaven? Is it just about that final destination? Is the Christian life just about something not yet? Well, no, we've already said it's not, haven't we? We've already said there's a now element to the Christian life as well as a not yet element. So how do we hold these two things together? What do we do with that tension? If we see heaven as a not yet somewhere else, that's going to cause us a problem. So N.T. Wright helps us understand this a little bit better. He says this, living in heaven isn't the goal we're aiming at. Rather, it's living in God's new world with our new bodies. So the upward call seems to be the resurrection life itself, straining forwards towards it like an athlete, aiming at the finishing line and the prize that waits beyond it, means living in the present in the light of that future. Living now in the light of heaven. Seeing heaven now invade our reality, living by the principles of heaven today. So suddenly that which is not yet completely infiltrates our now life. 
That's why we pray as Jesus taught us, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Much of the purpose of our lives is to realise heaven coming on earth, the kingdom coming on earth. And Paul shows us that the life we live matters. The choices we make now count. If we don't live in the light of this upward call, then ultimately we're going to live a life that is fruitless. And he gives four um, expressions of this fruitless life, four problems, four ways that we can live and that many people do live, which are problematic. First of all, he says this, their destiny is destruction. There's no prize. There's no goal in life. There's nothing actually to aim for without Jesus. Perhaps this is why so many people do feel this life to be hard, to be pointless, to be hopeless, because their experience of it ultimately has been that, without him, without the hope that he can bring. And that's pretty depressing, isn't it? Pretty sad, pretty tough. The second thing he says is that their God is their stomach. Ultimately, that he's saying, what he's saying there is they worship themselves. They put themselves first, their needs, their wants, their appetites, their desires. And we can say they, but this is always us as well. This is a massive battleground for us as Christians, isn't it? The stomach, the flesh, the human desires that we're all built with, some of which are actually survival techniques for when we're younger, still have such a hold on us. And yet, if we worship ourselves, we're saying that God is an inferior God. We're taking him off his throne. That is the root of all sin, to put ourselves in the place of God. When we say that he is Lord of all, we need to do some work on making sure that we are no longer Lord of our lives. He also says their glory is in their shame. Shame is an interesting thing, isn't it? Each of us will do anything we can to not feel shame. It's such a horrible feeling. It makes us feel so grim. We will justify ourselves to the hilt. That's what so many people in society do. And we can see there's been a huge moral shift in our society over the years. Things that 50 years ago would have been completely unacceptable, particularly in the word, in you know, people in authority and in our leaders. Suddenly it's like there's no shame in this anymore. There's no shame in living this way. There's no shame in doing these practices. There's no shame in messing around uh, with these sorts of things. And you can imagine all sorts of different things that you would think are shameful and that others won't. And uh, I won't fill in the gaps. But we're always trying to justify ourselves. And yet we're really good at heaping shame on other people, aren't we? And yet when we see people celebrating stuff that we think is wrong, it's tough, it jars And that's so much of what our society is trying to do, compromise, saying what is right is wrong, saying there is no right or wrong, everything is relative. And then suddenly we've got nothing to hold on to when things go catastrophically wrong. Finally, he says, their mind is set on earthly things. At bedtime with my kids, well, with my eldest, I have been reading through the Chronicles of Narnia, and we have finally got to book seven, The Last Battle, which is one of my favourite books in the whole world. It properly changed how I saw everything when I read that book. And um, in the book, there are some characters. They are the dwarves, and the dwarves are this cynical bunch, and they refuse to be taken in. They say that we don't have faith in anyone. We only have faith in ourselves because they've had a bad experience. They feel like they've been missold stuff and they've been taken in. 
And then, and what happens is that they are in this stable, they're um, imprisoned in this stable, and then suddenly Aslan returns, everything is transformed, and they find themselves in this heavenly place, but they can't see it, and they can't experience it, and they can't understand, even when he comes to them, when he roars in their presence, when he gives them food that is beautiful to eat, they can't hear it, and they can't taste it. And the children say to Aslan, why can't they see? Why can't they hear? And he says these interesting words. He says, they have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their minds, yet they are in that prison and so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. How many of us are so fixed on earthly things, so afraid of being taken in, so afraid to exercise faith, so afraid to believe that there could be something more, that we close our minds, that we shut it down, that we focus only on what is right here and now and tangibly in front of us and miss out on everything that God has for us. It's a really sad reality, especially we see it in people who once perhaps were Christians and have turned away. They shut their minds off and it is so hard to get in there again. By contrast to all of this, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Now, the people of Philippi, they would be down with this concept of citizenship because they lived in a world where Rome was um, uh, colonizing lots of different places. Roman citizens were taking over towns and they were bringing the Roman values and the Roman principles and the Roman dress and the Roman ways of life. And that was how it was in Philippi. So they understood that a citizen of a nation or a citizen of a kingdom wasn't about primarily getting back to that kingdom, but was about living out that kingdom's values in the geographical place where they were. So this is what I was saying earlier. If you're a citizen of heaven now, rather than a citizen of Rome or a citizen of Britain or a citizen of wherever your um, nationality sits, then actually your job is to live with heavenly values, with heavenly power, with heavenly principles. You see, Paul reverses that picture that he's painted about the life against God as he elaborates on the heavenly life. Instead of destruction, our destiny as citizens of God is heaven. Our God not is, is not our stomach, but is the Lord Jesus, the Savior. Our glory is in him and in the transformation that he brings and our minds are to be set on heavenly things as we await his return to earth. He flips it all on its head. So you see, we are called ever onwards in our Christian lives to reach a place where we are not yet, to press on, to persevere, to leave our lives behind, to get alongside some people, to be an example and to finish the race set out for us. And this is done by living upwards, by living the reality of that not yet kingdom now, by living under the principles and the values of heaven now, as we await God's return to live in the light of heaven today. Let's pray as we just dwell on those challenges and on those verses for a few moments. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you call us to follow you, 
Thank you that you show us how to live a life through the life that you live. Thank you that you didn't just come and die, but you came and lived and you set a pattern for each one of us. Thank you that you come and live in us now and guide us and strengthen us and equip us and empower us and be with us uh, in this life that we have. And Lord, I pray for each of us uh, who's here, who's watching, God, would you help us press on in you today? If we've stopped the race, God, if we've got sidetracked, if we've got people around us telling us to slow down or take our foot off the gas, God, would you challenge us in that today? Would you help us press on? And God, would you enable us to see your kingdom coming today? Would you give us a revelation of heaven? Would you bring heaven on earth as it is today? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. Would you stir up your people? In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining with us. As I mentioned, we have got an absolutely packed weekend coming up tonight. We've got the Greater Manchester Prayer Event. And particularly tonight, we're going to be praying for the terrible situation in India. So if that's on your heart, would you come along? Would you pray for that nation? Would you join us? It's all online. So even if you're not in Manchester, you can join your brothers and sisters. We've also got Higher Live tomorrow. We've got Youth Conference on Saturday. Thank you so much. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast, where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>